0: I once sat down uh, with a group of young professionals, and we had breakfast with a successful business owner that had been in business for for, for for 30 years. And what he told us was, hey, here's some advice, y'all. In in the beginning of business, when I first started, I hated my, my attorney and my insurance agent. I felt like all they wanted to do was suck money out of me. After 30 years of doing business, the two advisors I love the most is my insurance agent and my attorney having good counsel is, is real important and so you see i had quite a few attorneys on here because uh, i work with quite a few uh, business owners and entrepreneurs and um, when you're building wealth for the future the, the one of the, the ways to protect it is to have good legal counsel because the rule of law you know the rule is um you know robbers when people when robbers want to get money where do they go they go to the bank to go the money is when when People want um, to take what you've worked so hard to build uh, Build. Uh, they typically come after you in courts. So you want to make sure that you have great legal representation. Uh, my interview, my, my guest today was uh, Sean Tate, uh, business and real estate attorney. Um, we talked about every, everything from uh, different uh, structures for owning real estate businesses, the uh, decision making process for how you decide to do that. Um, what are some of the um, um, strategies and options for, um, uh, you know, owning from the legal side of uh, setting yourself for uh, self up for business and real estate? Um, and I am a little bit off, if you could tell in my intro. My uh, my youngest child was sick last night, and I didn't get any sleep making sure he was good. So. I'm going to stop and let y'all enjoy the podcast. Enjoy your day. Right, the Saints color, okay. After yeah, after they after, they, after they, uh, didn't get the Super Bowl I was like, you know, I'm still gonna get them colors ready yeah, at least represent. Well, you know, them. are you from New Orleans? No, man, I'm not actually. So I'm from Houston, so I'm no, I'm hard. I'm die hard as Rockets. Yeah. And then when the Oilers left I mm-hmm. didn't um, you know, I didn't follow the Tennessee Titans. And so, uh, my wife and I go, we've gone to New Orleans like Almost every year we've been married. Really, so it's wow. you know we don't have Jay Z and Beyonce money, so we get yeah. new <laughs> pairs. You know, so, so, so we do New road. But all my family, all, all my grand, my, my grandparents from both sides, yeah. are from Louisiana. Okay, gotcha. and so um, yeah. and Houston is in the coach. I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna become a Saints fan. You know, because yeah. yeah. I, I had to pick a team. Her family's diehard Cowboys, and we're watching yeah. football every Sunday. uh, That's a hard team to follow, bro. uh, Hey, look, I figured I'm just going to like flip it. I'm just going to make some money off of it. There you go, okay. How are we doing that? Yeah, because look, every uh, who's your
1: team? Um, Honestly, bro, I don't really have a team. I'm from Chicago. Okay, so so Bears by default. Yeah, Bears by default, but you know, I, I really like the Saints. And um,
0: I like the Seahawks, man. I don't know yeah. why I just like Seahawks. How can you hate Pete Carroll? It's hard not, and Russell Wilson, and too. Russell you know Wilson, yeah. And then they had Pete small, So he yeah. got a little hood in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just like that team, the personality. Yeah. Here's, here's how you make some money on mm. the Cowboys. Every season, hmm. without a doubt, yeah, they're gonna go four and zero. Okay. They gonna, <laughs> gonna start off. they're, gonna, no, no, they're <laughs> not gonna start off. They're gonna go for they They're gonna win four games in a row. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At some point. And, and then what happens? What cowboy fans start doing? They start talking mad stuff, right? The jerseys come out the trash, right? They start comparing Dak to Tom Brady. right. literally, literally, this is a real story. In the barbershop, they're comparing Dak to Tom Brady. I'm like. Nah. You guys have clearly lost it, right? You know, real and, quick. Uh, so then you just start taking bets. Just say, uh, I say, look, I'm gonna set aside a thousand bucks in an account. Yeah, I'm gonna wait for it. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. buy the money about the rest of the game for the year. <laughs> and just, you know, hey, yeah. hey, you talking about bet yeah. for the rest of the game. it makes some money, man. That's compound interest. Funny, man. <laughs> so, look, so we are um, back with another episode of uh, Ask Philip podcast. I'm Philip Washington Jr., the host, and my guest today is Sean Tate. How you doing, Philip? So, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here and uh, and talk with you all today. Yeah, man. Thank, thanks for coming. And, yeah, um, absolutely. I think i you on the phone too. You know, my oldest son's name is just like his first name is, so it's like your last name because my wife's maiden name is Tate. Oh man, right? fantastic! So, so I, was, yeah, yeah. And I was asking her um, after we talked too. She said a lot of her folks, a lot of her folks were from, um, um, from, from Chicago. Chicago. Oh, from Chicago! Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah, so I was like I was, like, I was like, or not, you know, she had a big chunk of them because they were like in Michigan, mm-hmm. and uh, and I didn't know Chicago. I asked, I told her, she said, yeah, we got some, we got quite a few in Chicago. I was like, oh, mm. and you never know, you, you never, never know, know. you know, kind of spread all over. Mm-hmm. The diaspora did what it did, so yeah. you know, yeah, man, that's really cool. That's really cool. I don't need a lot of tapes, so that's cool. Yeah, No, definitely, cool. man. So and so I I um I like the kind of pre-title for this business. You know, I said, law one, one, because I swear I took a class that was titled business and law one-on-one in college mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. or was it business law i think it was business law might have been business. yeah usually they're they're
1: titled business law but um yeah man it's such an interesting class i think that whole intersection you know what i mean between business and law is just like an area where a lot of people have interest right mm-hmm. i mean i think especially in this country we live in a very entrepreneurial country you know kind of like Pull yourself up by bootstrap, do your own thing, you know, rugged individualism, however you want to call it. Like the U.S. philosophy is like, you know, go out and get your own, build your own thing. Mm -hmm. And I think where people get lost a lot and where, you know, um, businesses fail or where, you know, great ideas peter out, are around the details, you know, um, around the, the rules, the regulations, and the laws that help you kind of put those things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think we're probably similar in that way. We're saying, mm-hmm. that's just interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do they intersect? Yeah, because it's,
0: it's kind of like, I, you know, I always say um, in a civilized society, mm-hmm. you know, where the, the war is not fought on the battlefield for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. It's fought in the boardrooms. Mm-hmm. You know, you're new soldiers. Or, or, you know, or what, I don't know, this is gonna be a terrible analogy. Go with it. No. But, but, but your new uh, generals or whoever's kind of like management is like mm-hmm. your attorney, right? Because that's, that's where it's fought. Like, if you got a terrible attorney, you can get your lunch eaten every day. Right. And,
1: and you never know what is gonna happen, right? And that's why, I mean, honestly, it, that, that's a great analogy, man. The way I talk about what I do, when people ask me, I say, you know, I'm a transactional lawyer. You know, what does that mean? That means that I'm a lot better in the boardroom than I am in the court. You know what I mean? I don't go to court. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't deal in all of that. Um, I'm here to help get deals done, help businesses strategize about the best ways to both protect their interests and grow what they have. Um, so you know what I'm really a fan of is working with people that you know understand that their lawyer is not on the you know um, on the cost side, but on the asset side. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like having a great lawyer on your team. Um, make sure that the deal benefits you the best way that it can, and also that you're protected from what's coming down the road. You know what I mean. So having those things in place early um, is really critical to the success
0: of most businesses. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So, so what what I, what I did ahead of time yeah. is I, I got I got some audience questions this time. It was the first time I did that. Okay, and, cool, uh, cool. And I had my own questions. So we'll go. We'll do the audience questions uh, first. So um, uh, and I didn't know I didn't know what this word meant but what is cost segregation right okay so <laughs> it's funny man I you know I'll, I'll be honest you know I
1: had, to, I had to do a little research myself to make sure I had it right as well um, cost segregation is is an accounting term right okay. so essentially I mean it has it has a you know, intersection with with real estate in that what you're doing is trying to figure out on your books what qualifies as real property and what mm-hmm. qualifies as personal property. Mm-hmm. So from a legal perspective, uh, real property is the dirt and everything that's attached to the dirt. And attached is a, is a legal term. It actually carries legal weight. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between, say, for example, is a, is a house attached to the dirt, right? Yes, but is the washing machine attached to the property? You know what I mean? These are questions, right? These are the kinds of, so so what your accountant is doing is kind of going through and looking at the IRS regulations around how does the IRS qualify these different uh, pieces of property? Do they qualify as being either the dirt or something attached to the dirt or something separate, right? So in the example we just used, usually the dishwasher is not real property. Technically, I mean, it's not really attached right I mean it's heavy but it's not attached right you know but the cabinets right <laughs> would be a part of the real property. So when you're doing your taxes and figuring out you know how to allocate what I spent on X versus what I spent on y, um, that's a calculation that your, your your CPA or your accountant should be making mm-hmm. based on what the IRS code says about
0: it. You know what a weird thing is we, mm-hmm. we had a renter we had we, we, we owned a home my wife mm-hmm. before we got married mm-hmm. uh, she owned a home and so when we moved back here from San Antonio, we moved back in, uh, and when the renters left, they were so trifling they stole the oven. The whole oven. They 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 thought it was um, that they thought it was theirs first of all. I'm like, wait a minute. Did they bring the oven in there? Yeah, no. Okay, that, I in it. Yeah, but I'm just like, but <laughs> <"Cause laughs> you talking about like attachment and all that? Yeah, and I was, like, yeah. I was like, I was like, should we even like, like we got them evicted in quote. I was like, should we even like throw it? I said nah, because they don't have any money anyway. They were like late all the time anyway. So right. I was like, it's just. You
1: know, and that's really the thing with the law, right? It's, it's there's some things that you can go after, and some things you can't. And I think you really have to approach it practically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like in your case that you just described, that oven was yours. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't pay. I don't care if it was real property, personal property, or any other kind of property. It wasn't their property, yeah. right? It was your property. <laughs> wow. However, right? Are you going to uh, spend you know whatever amount of money and time and resources trying to get that amount that you paid for it, or the amount it's worth currently? Actually add it to your judgment, yeah. or you're going to call it a wash. Because I can guarantee you, we're talking about an oven, you're going to spend more trying to trying get, get the, justice And they wouldn't pay. They wouldn't pay anyway. Yeah. That's another thing that I would love to, to say if I could just have a moment, <laughs> <laughs> just have a moment. Again, as a transactional lawyer, you know, I look at things from a business perspective, you know, like what's the best deal, what's the best way to do this so you get what you want out of the situation with the least amount of stress and headache, right? Mm-hmm. And so. You know the example that we just talked about with the with the stove is, is a really important example. I think people should consider uh, when they're looking at lawsuits or looking at you know how they're going to move forward on things. What's what's most important to them? Is it you know what's what's fair or, or justice in a sense, or is it or is there something else they're trying to get out of it? So a lot of times people are simply seeking justice. They just want what's right. Like I that was my stove. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care what it costs to get a judge to say that that was my stove, but I want the judge to say that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's fine, you know what I mean? If people want to stand on principle and, and kind of move in that direction, I see nothing wrong with that. But I think people need to be able to separate that from actually getting back the value, monetarily or financially, or you know, as it, as it pertains to them moving forward, getting back that value is two very different things, mm-hmm. right? And so I always work with my clients to To figure out which one it is, you know what I mean? Which one they're really after. If it's a principal issue, um, they're more likely to want to hire a litigator to go in fight it out of court Mm -hmm. and go for that. If it's a business issue, a lot of times I can help, you know, at least at first, right? Before we get to the stage of having to, you know, bring in the pit bull lawyers to go (laughs) to court for, you know, eight months and spend 30 grand. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe we can work out a deal. You know what I mean? That makes sense for everybody. So I just try to really approach it that way, man. I think most people just want to be made whole and they want to move on. Yeah. You know, and that's
0: been my experience. My got experience. it, got it. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Uh, as you were, as you were explaining something, what you said before camera, off before camera made sense, right? Because we, mm-hmm. we were talking about algorithms uh, and the planning process mm-hmm. and how to codify decision-making process to get advice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then and you said well it's kind of com- it's kind of complex in law and I was like and when you explained it, I was like ah now it makes sense right because there's it's it's kind of like um 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 kind of like uh, more like underwriting insurance underwriting risk mm. than, than, you know because because there's some investment advisors that don't codify their rules mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I think they should um, absolutely but. So it will be applicable. It's more applicable to underwriting risk, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, it de- You know, an insurance company. It depends, right? It Depends on what kind it of depends. business they want to write. Right. It depends on who their insurers are. It depends on a bunch of different factors that you just can't say in a questionnaire. If we're going to underwrite this person or not, right? So absolutely, that that kind of makes sense. Yeah. They, nobody knows what we're talking about. But well, that's okay. I the, mean, I the, think, the, I think the, it's what we great, do, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's
1: a great point, right? I mean, if you're thinking about. How to analyze when you're speaking to an attorney and trying to figure out, okay, how do I get from point A to point B and, and get what I want? You know, a, a lot of folks are looking for, you know, essentially like, here are the 10 steps yeah. that you need to take. And I know so many people get frustrated with hearing those two words from attorneys. It depends. It depends. <laughs> you know? But, you know, what I and I think this is what I said when we were talking about it, instead of thinking of a legal analysis like, lawyer going down a checklist you know that you could like print out say 20 different options and you're just going to end up at one think of it like a flow chart right where you know if you start here if this then this 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 or this but if this then this 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 or this right but if you go over here then it might be this 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 12 more over here and then it goes down here and goes to 10. so you might end up with a a a a flow chart the size of this room, right, to try to get to that solution. And if, if you want an attorney to hand you that, you know, uh, poster, I guess, you know, yeah, like the yeah, you know, yeah. twenty foot by twenty foot poster. That's, you know, I guess that could be done, you know, in, in some alternative universe. But in, in reality, that's the real value that an attorney brings yeah. is an understanding of how to navigate that flow chart mentally to get you to where you need to go, and then say, okay, here's how we apply the uh, results of that flow chart to some concrete paperwork to get your transaction
0: to where you want to also factor in emotions, which is oh, man. literally off the chart. Like it's literally off the flow chart. It's not even there. And and it really plays in because when
1: people get emotionally attached to something, their sense of, you know, logic and objectivity just it just completely goes out the window. Yeah. You know? And again, that's where usually litigators are, you know, <laughs> they come to the table when everybody's just really mad, you know, yeah. and yeah. just like wants revenge or wants to, you know, and so but for me, man, I'm I'm all about like how do we, what how how do we make progress? You know what I mean? How do we work this out so that everybody can move forward? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think we allow anybody to get away with something mm-hmm. that they shouldn't mm-hmm. uh, in any in any situation. But I think there's generally a, a a solution that you know allows my clients to get the best possible scenario, and that's always what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, what is the most effective structure for owning real estate an entity form? Uh-oh. well we said
1: it <laughs> it depends uh, no, yeah, it, does. It, kind, it kind of depends but really it, there's far less choices mm-hmm. usually so I would say you know first of all people pe- most people understand generally speaking it's good to have your real estate assets in some type of entity right and so the reason for that being uh, first and foremost for uh, limiting your liability right uh, limited liability company or a limited partnership or a corporation are gonna be your three most common entities that people use to essentially put put their assets in so that they can shelter their other assets from what could happen with this one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all three of those entities accomplish that goal in different ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, an LLC is really set up to be as, as, uh, as expansive and, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you can you can you can adjust it however you want. Flexible. Flexible. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's Set up to be as flexible as possible. It's the most recent entity that was created, um, and you know it, I believe it started in Delaware actually, but it took off across the country mm-hmm. like wildfire because it gives people so much flexibility with how they want to put their agreements together. Uh, but it does still accomplish that central goal. Uh, limited partnerships you find are really common in larger real estate deals, right? Um, The reasons uh, are partly just business culture. People are just used to seeing them that way. Mm -hmm. And then also because they make sense. So if you're looking at a limited partnership, uh, you're usually looking at a large deal that includes investors and a developer, Mm -hmm. right? And so the developer will be usually your general partner. Your investors will be your limited partners. And those limited partners can be made up of individuals, LLCs, other LPs. It gets, you know, it kind of gets, I don't want to get too many letters and numbers and all that going into it. But, point being, a lot of times you'll see the limited partnerships for larger real estate deals. Um, and then your, your everyday deals, your residential deals, things like that. Uh, uh, and even some, some larger deals that are more just you and a couple of core people buying one asset, a lot of times those will still be done with LLCs. So, my point with all that is any of those entities can work, right? Mm-hmm. Any of those entities can work. The tax implications of those entities have to do have everything to do with your individual tax situation. They really do. So LLCs are created to be pass-through entities, right? So that you can pass taxes through to yourself. Well, do you want to do that? That depends on how heavy your personal tax burden mm-hmm. is, right? You know what I'm saying? That's where the it depends comes in, right? Mm-hmm. It just it, You can't even begin to assess that until you look at your where your taxes are currently. And so for me, I'm a real estate and business transactions attorney. I'm a deal guy, not an accountant. I stay in my lane, right? I have a great accountant, you know what I mean? There's a bunch of them out there. Uh, What I do is, uh, usually this is a conversation that happens with my clients before we form their entities, right? Mm -hmm. They're gonna go to their CPAs and say, how should we do this? Should I put it in my name? Should I put it in my spouse's name? You know, should I I use a, a corporate structure um, so that you know, I can account for the board that I have, and so that that's appealing to my investors. Or should I? Or does that hurt me too much on a tax perspective? So it's another flowchart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for most real estate deals, though, you know, all that to say, for most real estate deals, most people can do them with an LLC. Okay. You know, and and the tax implications are either. I want to want my own taxes, or I want this entity
0: to be separately taxed. Mm -hmm. Just ask your CPA that question, and they should be able to answer it fairly quickly if they really know your finances. And when you're in it, so let's say somebody owns twenty different properties. Is it common to see somebody to have an LLC for each property? Absolutely, absolutely. It's
1: common. It's not common enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a terribly difficult or expensive process. You know, to put together an LLC. Um, every, as everyone knows, right, you know, like most people pop them out on legal zoom all the time, right, you know, to put those companies together. I think it's really important because the more assets you have, the end of the day, the more risk there is that something goes wrong with one of them, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got 20 properties out there, right, and you've got tenants in one of them, and they claim that some black mold grew up on the wall in the, in the bathroom, and it made their baby child sick, and that child ends up in the NICU, right, and then uh, a lawyer comes and sues you for their NICU bills. You know, it, it's not just going to be whatever value that house is. Mm. I got all twenty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, anything, and anything else that you have as assets, there is what they're coming after. And attorneys look for that kind of thing. They're yeah. like, okay, if there's a, if there's one entity that's holding a lot. A lot of attorneys will come in on contingency.
0: You don't have to pay me up front because I know they got money. I can get yeah. to you. know what I mean? So one way you can begin to protect. yourself. So it's kind yourself. of a deterrent they say, if they yeah. say, man, they are locked up. I'm not going to even take this case because because how am I going to even you know unpack all of this? You yeah.
1: know what I mean? They got LLCs owning trusts and there's and, you know owned by LPs that, that that's why you know high finance people set their entities up that way mm-hmm. It's to protect themselves from the fact that. If you only have one brain, you've only got, you know, 24 hours in a day and things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And You don't want to expose everything else you've worked to build to one mistake, you know, that right. happens. So I highly recommend, you know, setting up an LLC for each one of your, each one of your entities. And I think if you have a good attorney with you, it's not such a huge administrative burden to keep up with it, right. you know. And it shouldn't be terribly expensive. It really shouldn't, you know. I, there's some attorneys that, you know, I think might overcharge a little bit for yeah. that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> uh, that shouldn't be that expensive. If you're setting up a company where you got partners and y'all are having different shares and, and different, you know, uh, governance things going on and different uses at different times and, and membership interest transferring, that's one thing, you know, that that is can be an expensive deal. But setting up a, a what's called a special purpose entity to hold one piece of property is not something that you should, you know, be yeah. spending...
0: You know, twenty five hundred bucks to get. So this, so this is an interesting question, right? Yeah. The, the um, I give you like a, an example of what I mean. Mm-hmm. And you've been an attorney, you might help solve the problem. So, um, I talked before about my background, my designations, uh, my understanding of estate planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so, I had a client with a complex estate, mm-hmm. and she was, uh, or he, she. I'm not going to tell you what it was, sure. but yeah. the person was the person was considering um, uh, selling selling the business, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we were, so so we were talking about you know how how much she needed to replace you know for, I mean, to replace the income from the business so she can meet her retirement. We were, mm-hmm. we were going through all all the, the checklists of things I like to go through. Absolutely. And then we got to taxes, right? So mm-hmm. hey, what's the best way to minimize taxes? You know, mm-hmm. and, I, mm-hmm. and so hey we the most flexible way is like, don't worry about taxes, mm. right? I said, but if but if you wanna minimize taxes, you're gonna enter into the realm of inflexibility. And so we went through the checklist and it, it made sense for her to do a charitable remainder trust, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For a lot of different reasons, and that's a whole other topic. But, sure. so I said, let's, so I did research, hey, are some attorneys who do, who, who do it, mm-hmm. got on the phone with them, we're all together. Um, I like to do that because, you know, I'm, you know, um, I I can speak the language. Uh, if there's something lost in translation, right? Right. So right. Um, so we got on the call, and then the attorney, mm-hmm. which you know is great, right? Attorneys are paid to um, uh, maximize options. You know that's what we pay attorneys for. To say like, hey, sure. what are all my options? Mm-hmm. Be flexible. And then figure but out. He started. He, he spent an hour to just confuse her, right? And I was trying not to uh-huh. be the overbearing person. Yeah. But at the end of the call, I just was like, hey, I went through all this, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. her uh this is this, this is why I rec- this is why we talked about this I know you to do your job yeah but uh, she had already checked out so we got off and uh, I went to check this again and it ended up being right but my point was mm. you know you go through but that that's not an isolated process meaning it, um, if you're trying to figure out an attorney yeah um, you, you, you gotta that was the free console but there was like a bunch of questions so how do you figure out mm. uh, um, who to use and how much is being overcharged, and also minimize the, um, you know, minimize the pain to figure it out. Not the paying to figure, cause you gotta pay to figure it out. But just minimize the, not alternatives, but I felt like he was basically running up the bill. Like mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because i know attorneys attorney, I was like, I say, like, yeah. this this guy's a guy. If I were not here, yeah, he would run up the bill on you. Mm-hmm. So so how do, so how do
1: people avoid do that? That is such a good question, man. And, and you know, it's honestly the same question, right, that I would ask about a mechanic or yeah. a plumber or, you know, anybody who provides a service, right, where the other person, the other party, really doesn't know what's going mm-hmm. on, you know what I mean? And honestly, man, I think it comes down to trust. I love to say
0: that. You know, when mechanic, I just trust. You know, know. <laughs> you don't have, have to trust them, right? Yeah. And so,
1: but I mean, it's interesting what you said because I think as, as, as an attorney, we do come up, come up against that. It's... Uh, there is the responsibility, right, as an attorney to figure out if this person is going to be my client. Even if someone else has already figured it out, if I don't figure it out for myself yeah. and it turns out that that other person was wrong, right. then it comes back to me. right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So as an attorney, like that's our, our main job is like that the client can ultimately say to us, into the bar association, into mm-hmm. a court. He told me that was the way to do it. She said that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if it turns out that that attorney was wrong, mm-hmm. then whatever that client lost, that's going to come back and get that attorney. Mm-hmm. Whether it's hitting their you know insurance policy for the price of the claim or having, uh, you know, uh, marks against them at the at the Bar Association, mm-hmm. which my record is 100% clean, I would like to point out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of... Thank you, thank you. But, you know, there's a lot of folks who go in there, you know, look up an attorney, and, and you'll see that they've been disciplined for this. You know what I mean? Those kind of things. Those are the kind of attorneys that don't check. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So you have, on the attorney side, you're like, if I'm going to say something, I'm going to make a pronouncement about what I think we should do, I have to know that I'm right about that, right? Uh, on the other side, though... If I'm on your side of the table, right, man, we've been here an awful long time. You yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. So, so honestly, I think the the best thing to do is to work to develop a relationship with an attorney that you trust, that has comes highly referred from other people that mm-hmm. you like and that you that have worked with that attorney. Ask some of those questions of mm-hmm. them. You know, how are they on you know on, on figuring out things? How are they? How do they look on fees? Where do they? You know, and just try to get a sense mm-hmm. of those things um, because I think. You know, it, it really is just like a mechanic, right? You can go to one mechanic and they look real fancy and you can pay $2,500 for something that your buddy up the street could have done for 250 mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or you can get your buddy for 250 to do it thinking, oh, I'm about to save this bread real quick. You know what I mean? And then, break, and then <clears throat> it breaks down and, you know, Un- Uncle, I thought you said you fixed this. You know what I mean? we yeah. have all been on both sides of that coin, yeah. right? Yeah. And so with attorneys, it's very similar, man. You know, honestly, like uh, you just have to go on... The strength of building a relationship with them or referrals from
0: people who have worked Mm -hmm. with them who can vouch for their integrity Mm -hmm. i think that's really important now that's 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 a that's a great point (coughs) that's a great point um next question these these are my questions now okay (coughs) so what what is an operating agreement what is an
1: operating agreement okay um, an operating agreement is essentially, it goes by many names, right? Kind of depends on what, what, you're, what, the, what the deal is, but it's either an operating agreement or a company agreement or a blank agreement, either LP or LLC agreement. So if you hear any of those terms, mm-hmm. they all mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. I like operating agreement. That's the term I usually use in the deals I do. Um, an operating agreement is essentially the governing contract that tells you what you can do with a company right so uh an operating agreement has a few major components right so first he's going to say who's in the company you know what i mean like who, who are the parties that are you know signing onto the agreement um to be a part of the company what are they going to do as a company and then individually within that company how many shares of the company do they own um as consideration for whatever they put into the company right you know you got some folks that are going to put in sweat equity Some folks are gonna put in money, some people are gonna put in property, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have what's called a capital account that holds whatever your value is that you're bringing to the table and that's gonna be commensurate to your ownership interest, right? Then it's going to talk about what happens down the road. My favorite thing about company agreements is, the way I think of them is a lot like, um, is a lot like if you had a personal relationship but you could have a real contract for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about if you, you know, sitting with your wife, you know, you've been married seven, eight years, whatever, and, you know, you don't want to do the dishes, you know, that that night. And she's like, you know, can you do the dishes tonight, though? You're like, I'm really, I'm tired. What if she could just pull up, look here, on uh, page 26C, it says on Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays, you're in charge of the dishes, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean. Like, imagine if we could have that kind of thing. Imagine
0: all the fights that would go out the window if we just had a, something to come and look at, right? I don't, I don't think it would work. Like my life, my life would like take that and just throw it in the trash. She and, would, bro. Uh, I, I, you know, if, 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 if she were in the wrong, like, right? If would, she would. She would, would still yeah. throw yeah. it, it in trash. It wouldn't matter because <laughs> <'cause, laughs> if I'm right and yeah. I prove it, yeah, you know, I'm really, in you were
1: brilliant at that point. And we're about to go down a whole another right now. <laughs> That's <laughs> a separate conversation that I think we should have time. I get you. I feel you.
0: Right. But, but outside of that, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, you know, they really
1: like, they work a lot like personal relationships, right? You, know, you start off and you're kind of in a honeymoon phase. Everybody's really excited to be working together. They have great ideas. We're gonna make a trillion dollars. We're gonna change the world at the same time. You know how it is, right? That's, that's when things start. But as you go on down the road, right? Once you start actually having some success, once money is actually being made and exchanged, now what are we gonna do? So some of the big questions that come up, for example, are, okay, so me and you start a company together, right? We do really well. In our first year, we make a quarter million dollars, mm-hmm. okay? But say we run a car wash, right? Well, maybe I think, you know, we made, you know, a quarter million bucks. Man, we should take at least 175 go get some new equipment and some new marketing, right? So Because I think we have capacity to increase our flow here by 30%, you know, which would then increase our revenue, so on and so forth, right? Basically, one partner says, let's reinvest most of this money into the company, mm-hmm. right? The other partner says... I got bills, you know what I mean? Like, And also, I want to go invest in this other thing. I see a real estate deal or something, you know, over here that I think I can make a ton of money on. Mm-hmm. How about this? I want my 125 out. You know, I'm going to take my half. Yeah. And you do whatever you want with your half, right? You just sunk a business right there. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you hadn't planned for that at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So a good company agreement will uh, will think through those types of issues, right? And I think that's where a good lawyer helps. I have no problem with legal. Mm-hmm. If all you're doing, you know what I'm saying, is setting up, you know, one company that's just going to be an LLC that you, you know, run a business that you're the only partner in and, and that's it, you know, and it's a small, you know, non-complex kind of venture, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I'm not mm-hmm. going to stand in your way. But if you get more than one person together and there's an actual business that's going to be taking place, then that's where a good business attorney comes in handy to help mm-hmm. you think through issues like the one that I set forth. Another issue that comes forth is, you know, what happens if we work together on the same business has been five years? We're making plenty of money. Man, somebody comes to me and is like, listen, I see y'all making you know, grossing $800,000 a year over here. Wait, man, I will give you X dollars. You know what I'm saying? I'll give you a 4X multiple on that. Here's $3.2 million for your shares, you know, mm-hmm. of the company. Well, what if I don't want to sell? I like running my own company. Mm-hmm. I love this car wash It's my life. We didn't save this whole neighborhood with our car wash. You know what I mean? Whatever, mm-hmm. right? Two people... Again, a lot like personal relationships, right? Where you got two people looking at the same thing from different perspectives. But it's on paper now, you know, with the company agreement. Well, look, we said here, if you want to sell shares first, you have to bring them back to me so I can try to buy the shares. And then, well, what price? Well, here it is. Here's how we mapped out how to assess what that price point is going to be. What if you don't have it? Well, here's how much time I have to get a loan to go take care of that. And if I don't, then you can sell to such and such parties.
0: All the if-then statements all the if-thens are spelled out all the ones you could think of right all the ones that all the contract lawyers over the past hundred years have dealt with you know and then they
1: added the provision they added the provision right and so we take these you know way too voluminous forms right (laughs) and and as we talk through with the clients about what their needs are we can pinpoint which parts are going to apply to them right Right. and Mm -hmm. put those into the agreement so that's what a an operating agreement does it really tells you it's an llc is a is a you know a Fictitious legal concept, really, you know what I mean. It's really just a piece of paper, right? The real value is in how the company is run, you mm-hmm. know, and what the company is doing, and that's the company agreement. LLC, you can get from Legal Zone. A good company agreement, I highly recommend hiring a good business attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, you said you answered that
0: one. Oh, yeah, you answered the second one. What are some other legal documents business owners um, mm-hmm. or real estate investors need to make sure mm-hmm. they have? So we got the operating agreement, they, they got the structure set up. Yeah, okay. And,
1: but once they get their structure set up, and there's more documents too, by the mm-hmm. way, to set up the structure. It's not just the operating agreement. Uh, but once you get all those you know, documents... Well, so, so what are those structures? Okay. Like? So, well, you need a, a, a corporate consent. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need a document that basically allows you to consent to... Uh, to actually do what you say you're gonna do with the company, right? Because you've got um, a certificate of formation, which is the actual document that gets submitted to the Secretary of State, which says that which allows the company to exist, and that's gonna have members on it, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't tell us who is authorized to actually be governed by the company agreement. And it doesn't give them the right to go, for example, open up bank accounts in the name of that company. So you need a separate document that says, we're the members of this company or the manager of the company, depending on how you set it up. And we say that this company agreement right here applies to this company over here, right? So that's another important document you have. And then you got to have your EIN, which most people who do any investing know. You know, you can get that online real quick. Don't let anybody overcharge you for that. You know, it's pretty. It's not that difficult to get. Um, and then there's some tax documents that you also need. But, um, but either way, you know, um, once you kind of get past those, uh, man, it, it really is kind of business- Specific, but there are a few types of contracts that kind of pop up a lot, okay. right? Um, and, and maybe to keep it simple. We can stick with real estate investors, so let's okay. Let's stick with real estate investors. Okay, so for real estate investors, um, the, uh, one that comes up all the time is going to be your uh, your your NDAs, right? And it depends on the size of the deal, right? But a lot of folks when they're doing real estate deals and they're working with people and they're trying to put together larger projects they want some protection in place that this person's not gonna go steal their deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Now, the power of an NDA is dicey, man, honestly. It's, it, you know what I mean?
1: But you know, like, I really want this deal. If I find out you came after me on this, I got this little document right yeah. here. You know what I mean? So, some people like to do that as just a little bit of comfort that they're gonna have discretion from the people that they're talking to as they're putting the deal together. Um, Another big one that comes up in real estate deals is independent contractor agreements, right? So those are agreements with anybody else that you're working with in your process. What I see all the time is uh, builder agreements that are super builder friendly, mm-hmm. extremely builder friendly, to the point that the poor owner doesn't have any recourse against that builder, but if that owner didn't pay that builder on time, and I mean on time or early, they'll throw a lien on their house so fast. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It just stop everything in terms of the transaction. So, you know, those types of agreements um, where, your, where your contractors are coming in are, 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 are big
0: agreements that happen in real estate deals. Um, so so mm-hmm. let, me, let, me re- let me repeat that again. So if I'm gonna go, to get a house built by XYZ company, yeah. it might be wise to say, I don't want your contract, I want my attorney to look at this contract. It, they, I mean, like, will they just say, screw you, I'm not going to build your house then, go go to some small builder?
1: Depends, right? If if it's a big builder, largely yes. That's just the facts. You know what I mean? If it's, I don't know, KB Homes, you know what I mean? Yeah. One of the really big ones, there are so many people lined up <laughs> around the block to get them to build yeah. a house that, yeah, they have no problem with it. but. If you're doing something that's more like having a custom builder come in and work on specific aspects of a home, they only do you know one or two homes at a time. Then it's important to them, right, that they have a good deal with their client that their client feels comfortable with, because they need the client. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it really has to do with um, uh, bargaining power, you yeah. know, between. It really, the two really is like war, isn't it? Yes. Lot a yeah. lot, like war. You yeah, kind of size up your opponent, yeah. to totally. at them, and then you decide. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm dealing with a builder like, you know, KB Holmes, I'm going to have a conversation with my, and I do this a lot with clients about, here's what you're about to agree to. Not, here's how we can push back. You know what I mean? I just want you to know what you're you're agreeing to here. If they don't do this, 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 or this, good luck. Good luck to you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, just tell them the truth about that because you can waste tons of hours and time revising a contract from some of these really large builders and they'll laugh at it, you know what I mean? So it really does depend on the relative bargaining power of the parties. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And then, you know, um, the other deals that, that, I think the other sort of documents that come up a lot in real estate deals are, uh, are gonna be operating agreements, you know? Because every real estate deal, especially the larger ones, usually are like mini businesses with a term, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, we have a goal in mind we're going to build X, you know, or we're going to purchase X and rehab it, and then we're going to either refi out of it or sell it. Right? And so it has a similar structure to any other business except that it's usually finite. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's operating agreements, you know, that sort of set
0: out what the partners are going to be doing. Um, yeah. you, you know what, here's a better way to ask the question that I mm. might have been looking for with the whole estate planning example. Mm. <clears throat> um, and, and, and I'll even go to me, for example, mm-hmm. when we got our estate plan done, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we got into, um, um, the whole, you know, trust conversation mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then, and then when you explain all the different, um, Ways you can structure the trust, mm-hmm. which is unlimited, right? You yeah. know, give the kid money when they're 30 bucks, right. exactly. Like, you, can decide. you, you know, they wear red shoes then, on a Thursday, yeah. And, I, and I'm a financial planner, and mm-hmm. I was just confused. I was like, I don't know, tell me what to do, you know. But yeah. so I, I, I was like, you're the expert, I can't tell you what to do, Philip. I can just, yeah. you know, so how do you know what, what are some recommendations for people when they're going when they're designing the operating agreement, all these documents? Like, how do they, mm-hmm. you know, what are your best clients, uh, do? To know what to do you know what i mean like to know what because like, you can get you can get paralyzed and did and just go yeah. and i don't know what to do well i think
1: that well a lot of times for for my clients it it can be a collaborative effort mm-hmm. you know what i mean and, and that means either bringing in outside help from folks who have done that deal mm-hmm. before or working with me mm-hmm. basically on deals i've done before you know so and i'm gonna in addition to being an attorney i'm an investor Got right it. so i've invested in deals in the DFW area, and a lot of deals in Chicago. So I'd be like,
0: I'll be like, Sean, just do mine, whatever. Just do mine just like yours. Nope. Like I that. Nah, no, no, no. We're going go to go through it the way I went through it, You know what I'm saying? We're going to do our due diligence
1: and work through that, right? So, I mean, that's not so much like a, a pure lawyerly, you know, kind of thing. But I think... A lot, of, a lot of really good business attorneys are also business people. You know, It's part of how I name my company Tate Legal Consultants because we do a lot more than just you know push paper. You know yeah. what I mean? We help people to think about how to yeah. structure their deals, right? So this happens a lot. Right now, um, I'm working on a lot of private equity fund formation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a client right now who uh, had a really successful fund uh, overseas and they're doing their first fund in the States, right? And that, the success of that fund, you know, led them to just say, oh my gosh, we, we need to, let's just do this again. You know, they were moving the states anyway, they were like, let's do it again, but we don't know how. Like, how, does it, how do we put it all together? Mm-hmm. And so, if, if the client is in that position, then we sort of work that into the fee structure and work that into like the, the totality of the work that we're doing. Some clients will come to me and say, Sean, here's the deal. Here's the minimum investment, here's the maximum, here's how much per unit, here's the term, here's the investment period, here's the offering period make all that work. You know what I mean? Other other clients are like, I want to buy like three apartment complexes and I want to raise like $8 million to do it. What do I need to (laughs) do? You know what i'm saying a lot more questions together. you got a whole lot more <laughs> questions you know what i mean yeah, and yeah. so and, and i mean yeah that so that changes the level of engagement but i think you know the the, the good thing about working with an attorney that's worked through a lot of those deals mm-hmm. before is i mean i've seen them you know yeah. what i mean i see i see what people are looking for what they need for example as we were just talking about like if you're raising money for a private equity fund right you got to set up what's called a private placement offering um because what happens is you're asking people for a whole lot of money, and it's not regulated by the SEC, you know, Securities and Exchange Commission, mm-hmm. so you have to give all these disclosures on risk and on the on the nature of the deal and how it's run and who who's running it and what their experience is and so on and so on and so on and so on, and, so on and you present a packet to these investors that says, here's the deal. You could lose everything right <laughs> <laughs> but here's why I don't think you will right, right, right. And so that is a I mean it, this probably the majority of my work right now is is turning through those Great deals, thing, yeah. creating those deals for people right you know we got one that's you know they have to be under 50 once you get 50 million then there's an SEC thing that happens right. you know what I mean but like we're pushing right up against those you know mm-hmm. on several deals and the clients vary completely you know what I mean so Hopefully during that first meeting or two, I can get an assessment of like where they are. You know what they want to do. If it's a client who really doesn't know yet, you know mm-hmm. how all that stuff's put together. Best case scenario, let's set up a retainer and let me walk you through it. We're gonna yeah. work together. Yeah. We're gonna figure
0: it out, and then we'll get to the paperwork. So, 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 and, and what I'm it's also kind of hearing, and what I'm also hearing too is, it's kind of like being in business. Mm. You know, um, you have to just accept the fact that it's gonna be relatively expensive the first time you go through it because because you don't know right yeah. then then once you go through it it kind of becomes, easier because, it becomes it comes, much easier because then you know absolutely true absolutely true so you know one of the clients
1: i are working with is from uh monterey mexico right mm-hmm. they do deal after deal after deal after deal right so for them they have an absolute set deal they got, structure like, templates they things. know exactly well they got at least mental yeah, templates they yeah. know they know their deal you know yeah. what i mean so yeah i mean okay you you already told me the deal. All I have to do is go spend you know fifteen twenty hours putting it all together and handing it back to you, yeah. right? So my my cost will reflect that. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And the deal price goes down as you do more deals, right? right? So you know, my buddies in Chicago, we did our first deal. You know, yeah, the lawyers were like, you know, it was like twenty five k or something to set up the you know uh, you know the, the entity formation. But uh-huh. I'm sorry, the equity fund formation. But after that, it was like, once you bring in deal two and deal three and deal four, it's like, we know you know what we're doing. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not changing anything really, but the names and a few of the terms. So the cost, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's a high cost of entry,
0: you know, no, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's part of, you know, um, is one guy. Matter of fact, he's one of the wealthiest guys in um, uh, in Cedar Hill. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, I'm. I do not give away too much, but yeah. we we were interviewing him for uh, this breakfast we used to have for uh, young professionals here. Oh, cool! And he said two people I hate when I first got in business: mm. my insurance agent and my, and my attorney. attorney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said "You know, up thirty years in business with people who I love the most: my insurance agent and my attorney.
1: Facts, right? All facts. <laughs> it's true. You know, and I get it. And it's and that's the interesting thing, you know, about for." as an attorney you know working with new clients you know you can tell who's got real business experience and who mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. the people who don't are usually the ones who are like okay you can probably do that for a little cheaper right? <laughs> then, you know, we don't need to do all that right? you've never been burned you know what I'm saying yeah. you haven't done enough business to see what happens when we don't go through this process yeah. you know and so it, it, it it's a tougher part of, of what I do but also I am very passionate about helping you know new businesses thrive especially new businesses in the communities that I'm invested in you know what I mean and that I come from and so I have to do a lot of that you know uh but once they get once they see you know and once once we get a deal done and they're like oh my gosh if you if I wouldn't have paid this little thing this would have happened you save me from that yeah here's your money dude you know what I mean next time it changes right so uh I think that's a very 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 astute Observation. Yeah. At the beginning, you're like, "Why am I even paying for this?" Mm-hmm. Do a few deals, see how much money you save, or how much, or what happens when you don't get good counsel. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how you got these big firms charging eight hundred, nine hundred dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the same mm-hmm. stuff
0: that you know yeah. other folks to do. And that's one of the you talked about before. Mm-hmm. You, uh, uh, on the phone, you can also find uh, an attorney with experience mm-hmm. that is a you know small, mid-sized firm that don't have the overhead uh, of the of the of the bigger firms, right? Exactly. Which, is, which is why I set up my own wealth management company. Once. And that's why I set up mine, uh, you know I uh, mean? Not a wealth management, but my own yeah, law firm. Yeah, for yeah, exactly
1: yeah. the same reason, man, because the people that I want to serve, you yeah. know, the people that I got into this business to serve are, you know, people like me, people like people around me, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, And I feel like this, there's this, and I'm sure it's the same in your business, Um, You know, some folks of different levels of privilege have these kinds of services sort of built into their network, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But for for other folks, it's not there, you know what I mean? And having access to the kind of knowledge that you get when you go work at some of these big firms Mm -hmm. and go through that gauntlet and get that information, that's the only way to do it, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But once you have it, hopefully, you know, I mean... If you like you or I, you know it's, it's a great privilege to be able to take that information
0: and then go use it in the areas that you know matter more to, to us. Absolutely, yeah. and, and, you know. and 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 I'm a I am do not want to keep you here all night. I'm gonna to get to the fun questions. No, we, no, we can But you and I can do a whole episode on what you just talked about mm. uh, without going too deep, because I, you know, um, I'm constantly reading about uh, in my business the Chase Banks and the Wells Fargo and and I used to work at a big company mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the predatory practices that are ingrained in the culture Absolutely. towards, um, you know, communities that uh, don't have a don't historically have a lot of money. I mean, right? We can just say it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like you know, you know I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, like a, communities of color. Like, I'm you like, know. I'm like I, don't, I don't imagine what happens in the legal field on that because in my and my, I see it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like they're gonna screw you up if they can. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, every which way
1: they can, yeah. right? Because it's all about the dollar at the mm-hmm. end of the day. There's no heart left. There's no, and I think that's one of the problems with you know, when capitalism sort of runs wild, you know, yeah. and it just becomes a matter of numbers. That's how people get lost, you know, in the situation, yeah. man. So i got clients like that right now, and I'm like, you know, they, they come to me and they say, like, dealing with a bank, you know, issue, right? A client had a, had a house, the builder didn't perform, and you know, they come to me to try to help them work the deal out, and the bank's like, uh, you owe us X number of dollars, we don't care what happened with your builder. Look on page 373 of this 600-page contract, you know, like, figuratively speaking. And um, yeah, there's no one cares, you right. know what I mean? And these folks, I'm like, you need to take this deal right now, because if you don't, it's gonna get a lot worse. And they're like, but that doesn't seem fair. And I'm like, what's fair got to do with right, it? Right. Once you get up to that level. Yeah, so yeah. it is nice to be able to add back that human element, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, yeah. to to the business world. Man.
0: Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, here here's my fun questions. What, what are your yeah. favorites? So you've been here five years. What are your mm-hmm. favorite restaurants uh, in DFW? Favorite restaurants in DFW, okay,
1: okay. Um Oishi, I think it's called Oishi the ramen spot in in Deep let as go Um I'm a big fan of South Dallas Cafes right on the road from my house, mm. you know. That's the first place, I think it's the first soul food place I went in in Dallas. Shout out to Casey Thomas for taking me over there. <laughs> to uh to South Dallas Cafe, that was the spot. Um me and my family go to uh go to uh flower child a lot you know we eat a lot of i'm from i live in austin for a long time okay, okay so i eat a lot of hippie food yeah, you know what yeah, i mean yeah, so yeah. I, i'll take the quinoa you know and all that and you know do a little healthy thing so we go you know we go to flower child a lot um you know and other that, other than that man we just kind of i go everywhere you know what i mean most of my other stuff is business related so i'm at del frisco a lot you know doing business lunches stuff like that you know like yeah, uptown yeah, kind of yeah, places that's which that's that's are kind of nondescript and just mm-hmm. you know nice places to eat you know what i mean so I'm going to be relying on you, Philip, to let me know. As a matter of fact, driving over here, I saw a place called, what's it called, Harris's Barbecue? You know what, I haven't, I haven't, oh, into my Papa's, Papa's? No, 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 not Papa's, it's yeah. a little, it's like a little shack. For real? I'm but it right. had a sign on it, it's, it's right down the road, man, it's got a sign on it that says, Top fifty barbecue restaurants in Texas, like mm-hmm. Texas Monthly. Oh wow! I it, definitely got to. We we was on the way here But on the way here, like on sixty seven, as I was on my way I'm, to. I'm here. Look that up. I haven't been
0: there. So you'll have to let me know where else. I My, my yeah. wife, I'm trying to get her a sort of foodie podcast. Cause she is a uh, like all the new spots that we need to go to. Yeah, we go to her. So we'll we'll. Uh, uh, sh- she is my. Uh, Advisor on food, and so that—that's how I know. It. That's how you know. Okay, yeah. we're gonna have to make yeah, that information. Yeah, 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 One yeah.
1: more place I definitely want to mention. I don't know if you've been, but have you been to Recipe Oak Cliff? Mm-hmm. Okay, Recipe Oak Cliff is a restaurant that's um, in the Vernon Village area, which is you know just uh, how do I describe it? Maybe 20th Street and and 35, okay. but on the east side, like not on the you know Bishop Arch side on the west, but on the east side. Mm-hmm. Um, Started by you know a sister who you know put this together did, did some great work with organizations that helped her get it off the ground. I don't like I said I eat like kind of hippie food but I don't really do vegan food. That place has the best vegan food for real I have ever eaten in my life. I gotta man. try out. recipe Oak Cliff recipe Oak
0: Cliff yeah people yeah. recipe Oak Cliff check that out really it's yeah. amazing it's yeah. amazing yeah. Yeah. okay definitely by the way before I forget yeah. if, you, if you like vegan yeah there's a uh, the the, the Oh man, it's a Creole Vegan spot. The it's on 7th Street in Bishop Arts. If you just Google yeah, cre- Creole, Creole Vegan, it should come up. V- Bishop Arts is good. Really? It's Creole vegan. It's, Creole vegan. It's, it's, it's amazing. And you know you got family from Louisiana, so yeah, I can no, trust that you, that you know. My wife was right. like, Hey we gotta check this place?" right yeah. out so we went and I'm forgetting okay. her name. Okay, okay. Um, Creole vegan. I can Google that. Yeah. Cool. it. Oh, so show, show! When you do get downtime, what shows do you like to watch? Mm, mm.
1: So you know, that's probably my guilty pleasure, man. You know, honestly, is uh, uh-huh. you know, after a long day, I just hit Netflix and just see what's going on. Uh-huh. You know, so um, you know, uh, at the moment, it's Ozark is the show I'm watching, <laughs> right? Is oh just, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, Ozark's a pretty dope show. Um, let me see, man. I, Honestly, it's really gonna be just whatever is on at that time. I usually, if it's an HBO show, I'm usually pretty into it. I you know, know, they just got really high quality program. Yep. So Chernobyl was a really great series that I watched on that. Um, I'll occasionally watch those like like the Aaron Hernandez joint that they I still did. the one yeah. on Netflix. Oh man, it's crazy! It's crazy. It's good. It's good. So you know, it's that kind of thing, man. I just mean. kind of whatever's whatever's on at the time. That's kind of. Uh, Critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually use my little wind down time in the evening to just check that out.
0: So, okay. Yeah. And what about movies? Movies, movies. Favorite movies? Mm-hmm. Like ever? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a tough one, man. That's
1: a tough question. Um, I got some odd favorite movies. Mo Better Blues is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee joined Dave Denzel Washington as a trumpet player. Uh, I play trumpet and so that movie really as a kid kind of like when my mom made me get a trumpet and I saw that movie and I was like what well, Denzel got a trumpet you know what I mean and I still play you know what I'm saying like you know you know Matt Houston right we play together every once in a while yeah yeah so you know that movie kind of really inspired me from a you know musical perspective um uh, I don't know why I'm on Denzel movies right now but I mean Big shouts out to Malcolm X. I think one of the greatest. Films a, that, made. I, oh yeah, you're you right. Know, man. Like just that thing amazing, when they were in front of the police
0: station was just powerful, man. Right. I, that, that's that, that's probably one of the reasons why um, uh, I'm not going to even go there right now. Man. Okay, no, no, yeah. but yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One of
1: those one of those kind of moments that turn on a different level of consciousness. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think you know viewing that that particular film. You know, and like kind of while we're on this trail, we'll shoot back to shows and say. You know I gotta be in my top three television shows ever it's gotta be the wire I've rewatched the wire a couple of times um, you know I'm sure you know the show is about uh, it's, it's set in Baltimore mm-hmm. and you know every season covers sort of a different aspect of, 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 of what sort of social ills or social institutions and the struggles they're having in Baltimore at this particular time so they look at public housing um, you know which for me It's really close to home. I never lived in public housing, but I'm from Chicago, right? And my grandmother is, you know, lives currently, you know, in on the west side of Chicago. And I grew up like just outside of the, uh, you know, like I hate to call it that. You know what I'm saying? Outside the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like just outside of it. And I saw when these projects came down, um, what happened is they just like scattered people all over the city. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Far away from their families from their jobs from everything they were just like okay this is your new house unless you can pay you know like you know X amount of dollars and so that really you know inspired me to want to look at real estate as a career path and um, and, and it also it, it has a huge influence on how I invest and on the people that I represent uh, in their real estate transactions uh, so, you know, I, I work with a lot of people who work on affordable housing developments, which is a huge issue here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, that we have a long way to go. So that's a really, you know, it adds a lot of value. Like for me, like you know, I feel a lot of, you know, personal reward by being involved in those types of projects. And the projects we do in Chicago are largely geared towards building uh, building back up. The, uh, the middle class around, you know, single family or even multifamily, but low density multifamily mm-hmm. where we can bring in young owners, you know what I mean? Young owners with color preferably, you know, that are mm-hmm. like in a position where they can really grow from this and be able to, you know, rent hack, by having people move in with them and sort of building wealth mm-hmm. in communities That's that way. Idea. yeah we're on it, we're on it, we're doing it. We're doing it right now, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're working on a 122 unit deal right now that is 17 different assets. You know all geared around that same you know kind of mm-hmm. concept but anyway we got a little off topic but my point is you know i love that show the wire because it really shows uh what happens when uh poverty is over concentrated um, when you know educational standards are low because of that over concentrated poverty there's a whole episode a whole season on schools a whole season on on real estate um there's a season on the police department and there's a season on uh, on on politics and then a season on journalism, right? Mm-hmm. And like how all these things sort of fit together to create, you know, the world of, of you know um, of, of people in the, you know, inner city urban communities. Um, so that was just like one of my favorite shows from an entertainment and from a social examination perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway man, yeah, I like to look at heavy stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, that's kinda like where I'm usually at but uh, yeah, no, with that's TVs good. and movies. No, that's, that's dope. What, what about books and podcasts? Um, podcasts, but honestly I don't even listen to podcasts okay. I really don't, I don't have any podcasts right now Um, Books, man, I've been reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy Lately um, Which is a wild experience, man Because, it, it, because like, Cormac McCarthy writes about Texas, right? Um, Pre-World War I Like, around, say, like the 1850s to the 1920s And sort of the fights that happened around Borders there, and you know what happened to Native American populations and the so called cowboys that you know were really thugs that were just going mm-hmm. around killing them for scalps, and, right. and just kind of like how it really is a raw representation of some of the story of how our country came to be that doesn't get told, right? right? And then for me, the black characters are the most interesting in those books because they only are there for like a sentence, you know what I'm saying? They're almost like they feel like a um. Like, just, they it, it just exist. Like, slavery is just one of those things that just say it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not even really addressed, which really kind of speaks to, you know what I mean? Oh, A different perspective on what's crazy. going on at the time. Uh, so, those kind of things. And then those, like, you know, motivational books, man, you know, like how to network shoe dog by, uh, you know, Phil Knight, you know, story of uh, Nike, you know, I like to read those stories about, you know, CEOs who kind of pushed through the tough times and built their organization and built the culture that way they wanted to and, and sort of saw their dream come to fruition. Because I think for people like ourselves who are in the entrepreneurial world, and some of your viewers are in the entrepreneurial world, it's extremely important to remember, you know, to say focused on the vision that we have, and the fact that everybody from the top to the bottom goes through a lot of trials to get mm-hmm. to where they want to get to, right? So those are kind of the things that, you know, I, I, I do on the book side. Other heady historical stuff, and then, you know, business. How do I keep okay. this moving forward? What's the name of that Texas book again? I might want to read it. Um, Cormac McCarthy, he has five different books. But if
0: he's the author. I like Cormac like, McCarthy. Yeah, Cormac McCarthy. Check wonder, him out at Jim. I wonder if, 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 if you got into the whole Dallas story, man, and... Cause a lot of these fancy streets are some of those cow, cowboys that uh really they, yeah. they, they, like the fancy streets in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Like it's about eight to ten families that like basically killed all the Indians, and stole all the land, wow. and and then they're the they're the. I mean, it, you, yeah. you when you get into it, yeah, uh, you you'll see them like man, but but it's not a unique. I mean, like you said, it's that, not that's how it was all over.
1: That's right? how the country the yeah. country was founded, if you want to call it that, yeah, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. It, Exact. that same story that you just described, you know, the books go into that. This particular book I'm thinking of is called Blood Meridian, mm-hmm. um, and it's really focused on these bandits that just went around killing, raping, pillaging, taking things over, and then next thing you know, you know, they're like the barons of the time, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, wow, man, you know, we've come a long way, we've got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. But it's interesting, you always got to look back and see where you come from, you know, to know how to move to the next step,
0: so... Well, well, hey, I, um, I absolutely appreciate you taking time out to it's come on the pleasure. show. sounds like really we got to do pleasure. it again because yeah. I, I yeah. didn't get to all the questions. Oh man, yeah, we uh, can yeah, definitely
1: yeah. do it again. And maybe yeah. you want to ask. Maybe there's other questions yeah, that come yeah. out of this that we can. I mean, I I love talking. If you can't tell, yeah. so you know, just yeah. let me know, man. Oh, hey, I appreciate <laughs> it. Absolutely, thank you.